Well, there was a time in which I really felt like I was not on sitting on the banquet table, enjoying an incredible feast. Um, there was a time where I actually felt like I actually was under the table and um, just eating the stuff on the floor. And that kind of accurately describes my, or described the time in which um, I was hitting rock bottom. It was four years ago. My health went down. I could not even walk. I had a bad um, issue with gout. And for about a month and a half, I could not go upstairs to be able to put my kids to bed because the pain was so massive. Um, my wife would spend that time taking care of the kids, taking care of the cooking, taking care of everything, and taking care of me. And it was a time in which uh, it was a huge struggle um, for me just to look to the next day. A close friend of mine also had gone into the hospital with an infection and then unexpectedly died and passed away. One of the closest friends that I've had, and that just threw me up. And then on top of that, I didn't have any friends or very close friendships being moved here and relocating from Los Angeles um, to Houston um, for just a few years. We had to start over in a sense. And all of our family and our friends were, were back, um, back in L.A. And so um, there was the times which I was eating off the breadcrumbs. I was not eating off the table in a way that I just felt like God was really distant. And I felt like God was, was, was not answering. And it was a time in which was great consternation and prayer of just saying, God, if you, you're God, will you just do what you need to do? And will you just speak into my situation? And, and sometimes I felt like I was just wanting a quick fix. But that time went on and on and on. And it was just almost like silence and silence and silence. Until there came a time in which my we came back um, from a trip um, from Los Angeles. And that's where we hit really rock bottom. That's where my wife just cried and just shared her, her, her pain with me of everything that she was going through. And that was really a time in which I felt that everything had come down to this. And all I heard was silence. Deafening silence of God, wh why aren't you coming into my situation? And so we, we were at a point where we just had to cry out. God, will you just move? Have mercy on me. This is kind of what you, if you think back into your times in which you have struggled, and maybe there was times in which you were not feasting, but you were just feeling like you were just getting the scraps in your spiritual life. This is what this Canaanite woman was suffering and struggling through in our text today. And not only that, she was seeing the pain of somebody she loved go through immense and terrible suffering. And she knew she needed God to break through in her life spiritually to do something that she could not do. And she relied on Jesus. 
So let's take a look at that in the scriptures in Matthew chapter 15, 21 to 28. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And it's so interesting here because I remember a few weeks ago we were talking about how Jesus was desiring rest and desiring rest and he would go out to the other side of the water and the other side um, just to go out and to seek rest. And then eventually the people found out, they ran over, and that's where he ended up feeding the 5,000. There's other places in that same chapter in which he dismissed the crowds. He told them to go to the other side. He dismissed his disciples and he said, I need rest. I need to get away. And still that was when you know, he was able to spend time with his father in pray. And here again, we see the words, Jesus went away from there. I wonder if Jesus was looking for rest. Well, Tyre and Sidon were about 30 to 50 miles uh, northeast um, of, uh, of, this, of, of where he was before. And it was a place in which I think he would be incognito. It would be a place far enough that nobody or not many people would actually know who he is. So it's interesting here that Jesus may have been wanting to do the same thing, to go and to pray and be away with his father. And behold, the scriptures, when they come and they say the word behold, you do in Greek, it just, it, it, it means that something God-sized is gonna happen. And so behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Look at the description here. Um, usually you would go with politically correct terms like Syrophoenician, maybe Mediterranean, maybe just far, far Eastern, you know. And you would use those terminologies, but Matthew is very quick on the trigger to make it so that this word Canaanite goes and harkens back to the Old Testament times in which there was Old Testament hostilities and animosities and bad blood between them. The Canaanites, if you remember, were just full of just pagan deities. They were worshiping other gods, fertility goddesses. They were committing atrocities after atrocities, and they were the great enemies of Israel. Matthew wants you to see here that this woman is not just any ordinary woman. This woman is somebody who is from not just a really bad side of town. This is an utter enemy. And he's bringing up these, these words or these identifications to show that this woman was literally someone that would cause rage in case you ever run into them. This was the last person that you would want to see. A Canaanite woman from that region came and was crying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Notice that she is just saying, have mercy on me. And then she comes out with this title, O Lord, um, and then son of David. How did she know that? Her being a Canaanite, Syrophoenician woman on the other side, 30 to 50 miles away, how did she know to say that? And how did she come to know that Jesus was actually a descendant of David and would be that um, long preached to go and long predicted Messiah from the line of a king 
We don't know. The text doesn't say that. But we know that she is coming out and she is just doing whatever she can to bring respect and honor. And actually, she as a Gentile enemy had it right. <laughs> Isn't that great? It's like the people that you would rule out and count out are the people that are the most like spot-on accurate um, in terms of the theology. These are the people that you would count out and would not ever, ever just say, this person is somebody, somebody that I laud and somebody that I look up to and respect. She says, my daughter's severely oppressed by a demon. But look at this. Jesus, as we've seen in the past, especially um, in some of the other passages, just a couple uh, passages before, uh, we see Jesus' MO is just like, let, let me just go ahead and, and heal you. Let me just go ahead and take care of this for you. Let me just go right at it and heal you. But Jesus seems to go the other way, and he does something that even for us 21st century people that are reading this passage, we're wondering ourselves, he did not answer her a word. What was Jesus like? Was he rude? Was he just giving the, why was he giving, seems like he was giving him, her the silent treatment. And it just seems to us completely opposite of what Jesus would actually do. This is also matched by what the disciples came. Look at the text in verse 23. The disciples came and begged him saying, send her away for she is crying out after us. The text could kind of mean that either send her away and don't do anything for her or send her away, but just do what she says. Get her out of her hair. We don't know. The text can kind of go either way. But wouldn't it be interesting if it was the latter, if it was that disciples were like, okay, just Jesus, just kind of just, just honor her request because she is just screaming in my ears and I cannot stand this, um, uh, this noise in my ears. Just do that because she is causing attention to us. We want to get rest. We're, we've been traveling for so long. Get her out of here, please. And so that would be actually interesting that if that was the case, um, that that would actually be really powerful because when we see that, Jesus was going through pressure by his disciples. He was pressured by his culture. Remember, the Jewish rabbis did not talk to uh, women, did not give them a time of day. This woman was a Canaanite. She was a, a member of a hostile um, uh, ethnicity. There's racial tension. There was strife. There's issues there. It didn't almost seem like Jesus was actually just stepping in and, and just kind of going to what culture said, which is just ignore her, treat her as less than a person. But what I love about this is that if disciples are actually saying this, then the silence is not a sense of Jesus ignoring this woman. Jesus' silence is a means of loving this woman. If Jesus did not love this woman, maybe he could have just sent her away and just said, hey, you know, done the healing and just, you know, get out of my hair, get out of my face. But Jesus did not say a word. What I see here is that Jesus is drawing this woman in. He is knowing that she has a faith that goes deeper than meets the eye. And he is wanting to draw out that faith for this woman and just to bring 
her out, man. He is, loves her. He is interested to hear her heart. He lingers. He spends time. Jesus can love in the silence. And we know that practically to be times in which that could be true. When you're best friends with somebody and when you have, um, you're just, you're sitting toe-to-toe with somebody, you've known them for so long, silences are not uncomfortable, they're comfortable. You can just love the time just hanging with them and just being in their presence. In the silence, we also know that the, the scriptures call us in Psalms and other places that to, to sit in silence before the Lord, right? My soul waits in silence for you, the living God. Sometimes the Lord speaks to us more loudly in our silence than in any other medium. And that was truly um, a moment in, in my life in which it was the times in which the Lord was most silent, the more I felt and experienced his presence because that was when I was just pressing in and just saying, God, I need you. Like this woman, have mercy on me. Just speak to me. And if not, then Lord, just remind me that you are true and you're faithful to your covenant and to your people. You love me even when I cannot hear you. Jesus speaks loudly even when we don't think he is speaking to us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And so, you know, if you want to put off somebody, you say something like that. Hey, sorry. (laughs) You know, I actually, um, I love the Israelites more than the Gentiles, and you're part of the Gentile crowd, so um, you're not, I'm not going to hang with you. (laughs) Sorry. And so it's so powerful here that if anything, if Jesus, if, if Jesus wanted to put off somebody with that kind of response, that would be that. My priority is with the, the Jews first, with Israel, and sharing the gospel to them because I was the one that, that was sent to, to be able to, to, to show that I was the Messiah that was predicted by the prophets and the kings and, and the Old Testament, the Pentateuch. But here, the woman shows the true value and the true worth of her faith. Even though she was only living on breadcrumbs and maybe she was only since giving breadcrumbs, she spoke in and she just went in. And she, look at here in verse 25, but she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Notice she just takes off the, the son of David part, and she just says, she begs, and she just gets on her knees, and she is desperate. She's saying, Lord, help me. And Jesus comes again with this almost condescending words, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Um, when we look at this passage, it almost seems like... Um, this is condescending or this is just Jesus being, in a sense, rude or just being insensitive. And he obviously equates the Jews with the um, children um, because they are the children of God. They were the chosen nation in which 
uh, through the chosen nation, God was going to show his glory and was going to show his redemption of this people so that to be an example for every people in the world. And so he's also equating the dogs to the Gentiles. Back in those days, there were scavenger dogs. There were dogs that just were out. They were homeless. They roamed about as scavengers looking for food. They freely roamed Palestine. But this is not the dogs that the scriptures are saying that is this. This is almost because the, the dog is underneath the table as we move into her response. This is almost a, a domestic dog. This is, this is your dog, your pet, your pet Harry, you know? Your pet Snoopy. I'm not a dog lover, but I love Snoopy. So whatever it is, whoever your, your pet is, um, uh, whoever is your favorite, um, your dog. And, and here he's, he's saying it's not right to the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. So he's basically saying that I'm, it's not right to go ahead and serve um, the dogs first and the children. But here, the woman does not get standoffish. She doesn't get upset. She doesn't get, like, she doesn't go off on Jesus. Look at what she says. She says, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. She goes on with this analogy. She says, that's a given. And she says, yes, Lord, not even the dogs that that." that eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And what we see here is this, is this fact, is that this woman has just an incredible, deep, underlying faith. Notice what Jesus commends her for. He says, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. Jesus does not, um, just not, does not honor her persistence he does not honor her humility. He does not honor her, um, her articulation of these words. Notice what, she's, what he affirms here. He affirms, O oh woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And I love this because that's really, when it came down to it, all this women, woman had at the time. She, has, she was living on the breadcrumbs, and she was needing God. And all she had that came out in brilliant colors was her true and living faith in Jesus. She's a beautiful picture of what we should aspire to as believers. Here's a person who doesn't come out with her power, with her might, with her resume, with her giftings, or her privileges, or all, anything else, all she came here to Jesus was with her faith. And Jesus, if he's looking for one thing, he's not looking for how gifted you are, or how awesome you are at speaking, or how great you are um, in, uh, in your finances or how great you are in your marriage or how great of a parent, how many ideas you have. He is looking at one thing and he's looking at your faith in him. 
And that's the one thing that he commends. Jesus doesn't do this very often. He doesn't commend faith in the scriptures for only two people from what we see, at least for Gentiles. And that person was the woman in here and also the centurion back in Matthew chapter 8, 5 through 13, in which he says, hey, I'm a man of authority and I command people of authority. I tell them, go and they go. Jesus, you just say the word and they're going to be healed. And Jesus says, how great is your faith? The only two times was that centurion and this woman. So as I was really praying about this passage, I was really just struck to the heart of that, of saying, Lord, Lord, how much more important that I should be praying and asking you, God, that, Lord, I would throw myself onto the mercy of God and even want to just throw myself on the mercy of God and even just wait and fall for the the master's food to come down on the table if it be from the Lord, if the blessings would come from him, if his presence would come from him, if the promises would come from God. Lord, do I, am I daily saying, God, I am not strong, but Lord, I am weak and I need you to move and I want you, but Lord, I am crying out and I'm desperate and I'm begging, Lord, will you please, Lord, use my faith. Move, God, move. Do only what you can do. And I want to encourage us and from the scriptures of just saying like, Lord, where do you, are you calling me to press in um, uh, where maybe the times have been waning and you've been just kind of relying on just small, um, just normal, basic prayers? Where in the areas are we actually crying out for God to do something that actually requires legit faith? And I was just so reminded of that and so convicted of that, of like, Lord, Lord, I want to pray for the nations. I want to pray for North Korea. I want to pray for God to move in power there. I want him to change, Lord, what's going on with Russia and the Ukraine. Lord, I want to do that. And I realized that so many of my prayers were so small and so tiny and so, so meager. And the Lord is saying, I sense them saying, I'm saying, I know your prayers are meager. But how's your faith? I just need you to take whatever breadcrumbs you have of faith. And I just, I am delighting you and I'm pleased if you would just take that and put your trust and your surrender and your wholeness of faith in me. He delights in that. In Hope Family, I think he delights on it when You rest on him for grace. You rest on him on faith. And you cry out and say every day, Lord, I am so needy. I need you. Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, will you speak into my finances? Lord, will you speak into the issues of struggle in my own heart of bitterness and unforgiveness? Um. There was an area of unforgiveness in my heart that the Lord was speaking to me this week. And it was a time of great consultation because it kind of brought me back to that time. And the Lord was just saying, um, I just sensed the Lord was saying, just 
take the time and sit before me and have faith and trust me through this. And he kind of led me through a time of just um, repentance and just, um, just, just giving those things to the Lord. And it was just so, really so, so encouraging for me. And I, I just want to encourage all of us that we are also called, even though we are meager in faith, we are meager in prayers, God is at work in the silence, in the breadcrumbs of our own hearts, and even when we don't even have enough, enough in our hearts to have enough faith, God is moving and he is working in that silence. And he delights in us when we just go to him and just say, Lord, do what you need to do. God, I, I throw myself at you. Lord, I wait in silence. And I say, God, come and move. Oh, family, I just want to spend some time in asking you to spend some time and just come before him. And as we reflect upon this, this, this text, of asking, Lord, he's not looking for an incredible prayer life or incredible Bible plan or just a you know, incredible time of worship and every single time we come to the scriptures where God just blows us away and we have to like write down 50 million things. He's not looking at our resume. He's not looking for who, who, what we can do for him. He is looking for one thing. He's looking if we would throw ourselves on the unfailing steadfast love of our father and whether we would trust him in the dull and even silent moments where we don't see him answering whether we are feeling or getting rebuffed and we're getting roadblocks or after roadblock. Christian, know this. Guest, know this. He's loving you in that process. Your spiritual faith muscles are being broke, broken down. They're being stretched and they are being strengthened. It's actually how Peter, um, back in, in the text, as we saw that he was walking on water and he was tested to fix his eyes on Jesus. But when he started to sink was when he started to lose his grip and his eyes on Jesus and he started to give, a, 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 give ear to his doubts. And that's when he started to sink. But over time, Peter was fashioned um, through that experience of struggle and he was strengthened. Listen to him a little later down the line in which an older, more mature, weather-beaten Peter um, says this. In chapter 1, verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, your faith is going to guard you. And if anything, he's looking for you to trust him. There's nothing more, more powerful, more, more what God wants is simply you leaning on him. 
It's not about your spiritual gifts. He says, I want you. I want your faith. I don't, I don't know if God wants your experiences in the past that he's giving you. You don't feel like you have any spiritual wisdom to give. He says, I want you. I want your faith. You may not have the Bible knowledge of a preacher or a scholar. And the God says, I want you. Lean on me. Trust in me for grace. You don't have to have an incredibly awesome prayer life. Jesus says that's enough. I want you to come like this woman and come. Even if it's your faith is in breadcrumbs and you're just tired and weary, he just wants you to come. Trust in me by faith and lean on him for grace. I want to invite you to stand or to sit and spend some time and I just want to just uh, have you spend some time in silence and ask the Lord, Lord, were you testing me in the genuineness of my faith? Where, Lord, do you need me to just react and respond like the woman who is living on breadcrumbs and just giving the breadcrumbs of, of your faith? What areas of silence and roadblocks does it seem like the Lord is not speaking to you? And maybe that's you, and maybe you simply need to trust that God is loving you in this silence. He's loving you in the areas in which he's not giving you a word because he's drawing you out and strengthen your faith in him. for one thing and it was the greatness of her faith Father I pray that you would stretch us that you would move us out of complacency you would move us out of um, our comfort you would move us out of just lazy lackadaisical Christianity and that you would move us into deeper areas in which we can trust in you 
that, Lord, we, as we pray, Lord, that we would be asking God for grace. We would be asking God for you to move. And, Lord, that we would be leaning on you for grace. Lord, we love you. 